I might suggest therapy for liking spreadsheets. I just, I don't know. That's <laughs> just, I might just offer that just gentle. Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. All right, welcome back to this episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. Today I'm with the Bellingham Bells General Manager, Stephanie Morell. Stephanie, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for taking the time uh, to, you've been instrumental actually in me being able to have these conversations with the team. So thank you publicly for your help. (laughs) But before before we talk about the Bellingham Bells, Let's talk about you. What's your kind of backstory? How how did you end up in the chair that you're and don't say well, I walked into the office to no. How did you end up in how did you end up as the general manager of this team? Yeah, uh, great question. Yeah, so I grew up in Washington State in Eastern Washington and came over to Bellingham to go to college at Western back in 2004. And when my uh, days at Western were done, I uh, studied journalism and PR and communication there. Um, Proud Viking, loved it there. And uh, when I was done, I had just met, you know, my boyfriend, who's now my husband. And both of us were like, yeah, we don't want to go anywhere. Like, even if we can't find jobs, we're just going to stay here. And so uh, we, we decided to stay in Bellingham and I uh, got my very first job out of college at the Bellingham Herald, which is our local newspaper here. And I was working with local businesses selling print and digital advertising. And so I was working with a lot of small businesses, helping them with their marketing and advertising plan. And really that job is like being a marketing director for like 50 different businesses, because a lot of them don't have marketing directors. So you're like helping them do ad copy and design and helping them talk strategy, which I loved. And I, really got very connected to Bellingham, met a lot of cool people. And so at the time about, I'd been there about two years when um, the Bells, I was familiar with the Bells and I'd been to some Bells games, but the Bells got a new owner and it was Eddie Poplowski and he was from the Bellevue area. And I had heard that he was going to come in and rebrand and try to really, you know, send the Bells on a different trajectory. And he came into the Herald and he wanted to partner with us. And uh, I was their ad rep and just kind of worked with them very closely for a couple of years and got to know their story and why they were doing what they were doing. Got to help them, you know, get out with this new brand and new strategy and really trying to connect to the community. And um, about three years in, in one of those meetings, they said, hey, have you ever thought about working here? Which I hadn't. Um, But I'm a big sports fan and I I really, you know, at that point was going to Bell's games. Uh, I've really appreciated their mission and their vision and uh, really liked Eddie and, and Nick Caples, who was the GM and really the only full-time employee at the time. And so they brought me over to be the second full-time employee in 2013. And I was kind of doing a lot of marketing and sales. And uh, it was one of those weird things where I never knew I was very operationally gifted, but I just like all of a sudden was like, I love spreadsheets. I love operations. I love systems. And uh, really uh, over the next couple of years, just got to know the team and um, got promoted a couple of times and was fortunate enough to be promoted to GM in, in 2016 and work with Nick Caples for a couple of years. Um, and then Eddie sold the team in 2017 and Nick moved on to Arizona and we were bought by a wonderful family who lives up in Canada and they kept me on and the rest is history. And I've been here eight and a half years and can't imagine doing anything else. So that's, that's kind of how we got here. I might suggest therapy for liking spreadsheets. I just, I don't know. That's <laughs> just, I might just offer that just gentle. No, that's, 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 that's amazing. So you said you're a, you were a sports fan. Were were you a baseball fan at that time? Not that that really necessarily matters, but what sports yeah. what sports are you into? Yeah, I mean, I was a high school athlete. I played volleyball. Uh, my brother was played baseball. Um, you know, we were a big baseball family, and my mom was running the concession stand. My dad was coaching, so I was always around it, you know. And mm-hmm. we're we're big Husky football fans, so that's kind of our number one. But it feels like in my family, um, which I've now continued on my own family, like everything revolves around sports like every weekend is like what's on tv or where what sporting event are we going to or you know so it's just we're just very um 
inclined that that way. And so I never played softball or anything like that. And that's the question everyone asks, but it's also has very little to do with my job um, because I do understand baseball from, you know, just being around it. And I love, love the game, um, loved going to Bell's games before, before I started. Um, so I like all kinds of sports. I think honestly if i have to be super honest football is probably my favorite but baseball is definitely number two and probably number one because i do what i do for a living so they probably have to be tied but uh but i love them both i love all sports really well you know football's a fall sport baseball's a summer and spring so <laughs> yeah, you, you got compete. you know you, you, can, you can flip-flop half the year and you're, you're, you're good yep it's i'm i think it's amusing to me that you you decided to stay in bellingham where you you said you grew up in eastern washington whereabouts in eastern washington <laughs> Yeah, I grew up in Yakima. Okay. Okay, Yakima. So I went to Central. So okay. I grew up in the Tacoma Puyallup area, and I went to Central, okay. and I thought, you know, I think I want to stay here. So I kind of get – I didn't. We moved over here in 2017, so we I lived on the west side all those years, and we, you know, we moved over here to Wenatchee now. Um, Eastern Washington has a certain appeal, but I also think college towns have a certain appeal, and Bellingham's got a, a, cool, uh, a cool energy about it that's – um, although, you know, as we talked before when we were on the phone, I'm sad about the coffee shop closing, but anyway, uh, <laughs> that doesn't need to be here. Um, I will ask a question just, just to get out of the way. You know, I always ask, you know, where's a great place to get a cup of coffee. I saw that you had a, you know, you've been drinking out of a coffee cup earlier. So <laughs> where's a good place in Bellingham to get coffee? Well, I'm drinking out of a Starbucks cup. Uh, I'm kind of a was... Starbucks girl, but that's probably not the answer you're looking for. So, um, that's a good answer. <laughs> I think um, in Bellingham, I really like Tony's Coffee in Fairhaven because it's kind of near my daily commute and mm-hmm. uh, where I have to drop my daughter off and everything like that. And I also really like Cafe Adagio downtown. Okay. Those are probably my my one and two. All right. So when you're drinking at Starbucks, what do you what, what what are you ordering? I am a Black Americano fan, and um, the funny thing that people like to put fun at me around here is that the number of shots I get in my Americano increases as we get closer to the season. So I kind of start out at the base level and then just kind of caffeinate as we go, but just, just so, shots and water. Yep. Shots and water. But here's the thing. <laughs> do, you, do you realize that technically there's less caffeine in an Americano mm-hmm. than there is in drip coffee? I know. I did know that. Yeah, so Just like Americanos better. Yeah, you do. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So you're not drinking a you know, vente chai <laughs> with six shots of, of vanilla nope. and seven Splendas. <laughs> like, I this is completely off topic, but I used to work for Starbucks, and and when when at the time that I was working for them, even if you were at the corporate offices, you had to go. Get, go through coffee school and you had to go work ah. at one of the stores, which was really cool. I, I love that. Well, anyway, I, so I had to go work a shift at a store and literally somebody came in and I, I swear it was a prank because it was like 16 different items and I had to call <laughs> it back to the barista and I'm just like, uh, and it was like, you know, seven Splendas, but only half a packet of sweet and low. And I wanted st- I swear they were pranking me. It was, it was like, why are you drinking? <laughs> anyway, I just, drink not my coffee. thing. Yep. It's not my thing. All right. Well, enough about coffee. Um, now before we go, let's, let's just unpack your job a little bit. So what's the day-to-day duties of a general manager in your case? Yeah. Well, you know, the duties are oversee day-to-day operations and day-to-day operations kind of means a different thing every day. And, you know, you've been talking to different gyms in the league. I'd say all of our jobs are just a little bit different um, Mm -hmm. based on the staff that we have based on, you know, there's some very active owners in the league. There's some owners that take not as active day-to-day roles. So it just kind of depends. But uh, for me, you know, I oversee kind of every aspect, um, some deeper than others. So some of the things Mm -hmm. that I'm super involved with are, you know, sponsorship and our vendors and those relationships. Um, I'm really involved with our host family program. I'm very involved on baseball operations. So um, being involved with our head coach on building the roster and making sure that roster stays maintained and relationships with college coaches and all, all of those things. And, mm-hmm. um, and then just the general operations piece of systems and how things work and how things need to be improved Um and just basic stuff like, you know, financials and accounting and just all the stuff that kind of keeps keeps it running. So that's kind of um, 
my job, I've, I've got a great staff. We've got a great summer staff. We have a great owner. So everyone kind of pitches in, but you know, I always just say my job is to kind of from a high level, make sure that the organization in general, in every single way, because there's all these different buckets is just trending the right direction and that mm-hmm. we are committed and, you know, living out the mission that we have, which is community development and excellence. That's been our, our thing for a long time. And so when we make decisions or we're trending the right way, um, I've always just got to make sure that, hey, is this something that's going to set us on the path of where we want to be? And um, we've grown a lot and we're getting a lot of opportunities now to do things and be things and whatever and we just have to really make sure that we're doing all of those things with our mission and our fans and, and players in mind so that's probably one of the biggest jobs i have is just keeping the organization on track but there's lots of micro things that come out of that as well so i haven't asked this question of any of the gms up to this point depending on how you answer i might add this to the future <laughs> ones season's over hmm. next day Walk me through a high level of from the the day the season's over to the first day of the next season. Yeah. So generally, probably most of us would agree that the day the season's over, um, there's generally like two to three, four days of you've got to pack stuff up, right? The ballpark is in just like pure ballpark operation mode. You got to take down tents. You got to put away the uniforms. You know, you got to kind of winterize everything. You got to put everything away. And so we generally like, try to get that done as soon as we can so that we can kind of take a couple of weeks and just take a breather. Like last year, last year was a crazy year. And, um, I actually like went on vacation and turned my phone off, not all the way off. I mean, it, I, I'm not, I'm not that crazy, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I just, I disconnected for, you know, a week, a week and a half got away and, and you really just kind of have to get back to a pace of normal life because, May to August is a sprint and we all just know that we do what we do. And in May to August, you know, baseball is the number one and everything else you have in your life, family, your house, your this, your that, like you just try to keep those things standing when you get through the summer and you know that in, you know, you know that in the off season, everything's going to reset. And so, um, you know, usually in August, take a little bit of time and then um, end August, early September, everything really resets. So mm-hmm. you've got recruiting happens in mid August to mid September. Usually oh. all of the recruiting is done by end of September. So right away, you've got to get out there and you got to start making those calls to college coaches and really get on top of that. And it starts earlier and earlier every year. So one of the first things, you know, I usually take my week and then, you know, back in the office and we're talking about recruiting strategy calls. And then generally that's a time of year where, if you have staffing changes or people are going to leave or coaches decide not to come back or whatever, that's going to happen then too. And so, so we have um, usually just in September and October, and then you have your sponsorship review meetings and, and then sometimes frankly, just things that you haven't had time for all summer. And so it's just like, Oh, we know we need to do this or we need to do that. And um, taking some time to do things like fan input surveys, you know, how did it go? So the fall is just all about kind of, setting ourselves up a lot of the really good work happens in the fall um are we usually get our schedule in the fall so we're kind of making those base layer plans kind of setting our travel and doing all those things uh the fall is you know we get back to nice 40 hour weeks and we you know our families remember who we are again and there's all of those <laughs> things which are really fun and then um after the first of the year it gets to be a lot more execution wise so it's like okay we've sold this sponsorship or we've done this we need to you know kind of put some pieces in place um, any new initiatives that you're you know doing like personally this year we're doing some camps we're doing a construction project so kind of gets into okay you know these are the things that we need to do and start to have conversations with vendors and other things because i think one of the misconceptions people ask me all the time like what i do outside of the bell season like what my job is and that tells me that they do not understand the flow of this which is that you know every single thing that goes into a season has to be done between september and like april because when you get to may you don't have time to figure out what kind of hot dog you want or you know whatever you have to do all that earlier so um so that's a lot of stuff we do in early you know March, April. Um, and then when we get to May, it's obviously just, you know, putting all those finishing touches on and um, making sure we can get the players here that they have their passports. I'd say almost every element of this is more complicated than people think. Right. So it's mm-hmm. like, oh, so they have 30 players. OK, yeah. But every, all of those kids has to ha- have to have a host family. 
and the host family, you know, if they're allergic to dogs, they can't live in a host family with a dog and they have to have a passport and they have to have insurance and they have, you know, we have to have documentation. They have to, you know, we have to figure out when they're coming and, you know, all of these things with the uncertainty of their baseballs, um, you know, schedules. So there's just a lot of, there's a lot to unpack from a lot of these little things. And so that's a lot of what we do in April and May. And then obviously we get to the season and start all over again. So one of the things that I learned, see, first off, you've explained that. Great. Thank you. I think I'm going to add that question in because I think it's interesting. I didn't, it, it seems glaringly obvious what you said, but I hadn't thought about it in those terms, like, like winterizing the stadium. Well, yeah, yeah, that's perfectly obvious, but it, I hadn't thought about those terms. But what you said, I didn't, you really shocked me with was you start, you know, building mm-hmm. the roster, if you will, in, in let's just say September. Yep. I, I, I was a little, because I see the social media that the teams are putting out where they're announcing, you know, you're, you're building, you're building some hype uh, who's right. going to be on the roster for this coming season. And so I think I just assumed that maybe January was when that was happening. Not, yep. not right after the season. And that's interesting. And then what could go wrong? You know, what the, the the guys are typically what 19 to 21, 18, 18 to, to 22. 22. Yeah. yeah. So 18 to 22 year olds are perfectly predictable. <laughs> um, there can't be anything that ever comes up at the last minute. Um, <laughs> ever. No, never. never. Yeah. It's, you know, that's part of the game. It's, it is developmental. And a lot of these kids, I mean, people think of them as these big, strong athletes, but pretty common that when a guy comes out and plays for us you know it's the first time he's been on a plane by himself oh wow and you know because oh. yeah they travel with teams and they travel with parents but oh, by now, okay. gotcha. yeah now all of a sudden they're trying to navigate by themselves and they're calling me from you know SeaTac saying i can't find the airport or shuttle bus and you know it's just it's that kind of stuff they're learning life lessons and we get really good kids or we've always made it a priority to recruit for character and you know mm-hmm. make sure that the character's there but um there is a lot of life lesson learning happening um with this age group which is actually really fun to be a part of and i'm, I'm chuckling um, but i'm not chuckling it, it you know i'm chuckling <laughs> overall the concept like yeah, yeah i can see this <laughs> yeah okay. for sure yeah. yeah for sure so um definitely we're lucky we very rarely have issues but you know there's 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 life lesson learning going right. on guys are learning how to do laundry and how to cook eggs and other things. So it just kind of is. And then you've got, and then you've got to, you've got to manage the host family side of it too. I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, that I'm, you know, that, yeah. All right. Wow. So building a roster, can you walk us through kind of the philosophy of building a roster? Sure. I mean, you mentioned character and obviously you need, you know, a first baseman and a catcher, but what, kind of what's some of the other components of roster building? Yeah. So, you know, the way it works in our league that sometimes people don't know is that we really work with college programs and we, we build those relationships and we work with college coaches. So it's not really going out and scouting players. You know, sometimes, you know, who players are and you may call a program and ask for a specific player, but a lot of what it's built on is having these relationships and being able to say, who do you have? And that coach knowing your program knowing what you're looking for as far as character kind of player kind of kid and being able to trust that when they say yeah these are the four kids that you should really take being able to trust that so you know for us and i think every every program is the same we've got a handful of relationships that are really long-standing that we go to Mm -hmm. first um a great example is ucla we've worked with ucla for about 10 years um john savage is one of the best in the biz and uh he's just super honest, super reliable, and he appreciates the experience that his guys get here in Bellingham. And, you know, he sends us kids that are usually young, usually incoming freshmen, but phenomenal Hmm. players, uh, just phenomenal kids too. And, um, and so, you know, that's one where John be our first call. Hey, who do you have? And, and he would say, Hey, these are the kids I want to go to Bellingham. And we don't even question it because that long, that relationship is still longstanding. Um, we've got lots of those sort of relationships. So, you know, you kind of start there and you build out your roster based on these programs that you've got these great relationships with, great tracker, track records with. And that's a two-way street, by the way, um, because these coaches 
are looking for quality summer baseball experiences for their kids, right? So they're mm-hmm. looking for the life experience, looking for the baseball experience. They want them to get good coaching. They want them to have a good host family. They want them to be part of a well-run organization. And so um, when you provide a good experience, they go back and say, yeah, that was awesome. And they tell their teammates it was awesome. And and then you can kind of continue that. And so we've been lucky to right. do that over the years with some of these schools. So you kind of start there. And then, you know, every year there's new opportunities that present itself. We were really fortunate this year. Uh, we had two college coaches uh, come to games that we weren't working with prior, but they came two games at the stadium last year to watch their athletes. And uh, one was USC. The other one was Washington state. We we're able to make connections with those coaches and, and take some of their players this year for the first time. So you always okay. um, kind of have some new schools that you add. And then uh, the way our rosters work is that we have full-time roster spots, but then uh, say we signed this year, three players from UW. UW is a quarter school. So even if they don't make a playoff, they will not be available to us till about mid-June. So if you take okay. three kids from UW, you've got to have kind of three 10-day players who can be available to, to you until the UW guys show up. And so uh, we have usually 10 to 15 10-day contract players, and those are opportunities for maybe smaller school guys, younger players, community college players, and to give them an opportunity. And every year some of those guys make the roster. That's just how it goes. Um, A lot of them are really talented for one reason or another. They haven't gotten seen. They haven't gotten an opportunity, but we've had all, you know, we've had 10 day players turn into all-stars. We've had 10 day players turn into, you know, league batting champs and other things like that. So it's, uh, it's really, it's really cool. And that's part of it is to make sure that you're covered to do those 10 day players. And um, so I'd say, you know, the roster it usually from a year to year basis, you have your five core schools, you have a few new schools, and then you just have some where it's like, you know, local players or somebody had a connection to so-and-so and he's out there. And then, you know, we call and ask for that player or this and that. So it's a lot of back and forth building the rosters. Actually, we had a pitching coach who built our roster for 10 years and he took a year off. So this he's taken this year off. And so um, he resigned in late August. And so Adam Geeslin, who's our head coach and I, we recruited the roster this year and I knew it was a lot of work but I had no idea how much work it was. It's a lot of work. Um, and it's a lot of conversations and it's a lot of back and forth, um, but it's really cool. It's a cool process to be a part of. It's cool to see the names on paper. And then the next part is you just have to see this time of year. It's like guys are getting hurt. They might throw too many innings. They might get shut down by their pitching coach. Uh, they might transfer, you know, other things happen. So the roster changes a little. So you just wait to see what happens. And then, you know, you got to get guys here and see what you can do with those names on paper. All right. So a couple of questions. Painting with a broad brush. Is it harder to find pitchers or position players? Oh, um, that is a really good question. It's a little harder to find arms, I'd say, um, okay. just for, for a couple of reasons. Um, it's harder to find. It's not necessarily hard to find arms. It's hard to find arms that can throw a decent number of innings. You know, guys are throwing you know, not necessarily more, but there's just more emphasis on arm care, which as there should be. And uh, college coaches are, you know, they're, they're shutting guys down if they think that they've thrown too many innings or, so there's almost less pitchers in the pool sometimes. Um, so some years you get a lot of guys, but you know, they can all only throw 30 innings or they can only go out for three innings at a time. And so sometimes it's, it's hard to find that guy that can go out give you that five, six innings once a week, you know, and that mm-hmm. his coach says, yeah, if you can throw 50, 60 innings this summer, that's, that's rare. You know, that's more rare these days. Um, and it's also just harder to, um, you carry more pitchers and we carry mm-hmm. more pitchers just because of the reality of arm injuries and injuries before they get to us and everything else. Mm-hmm. So you just, you're looking for more of those guys and um, they can be a little more difficult to find, but in general, I wouldn't say that, recruiting is difficult at all. I would say we, you know, I get 10, 15, 20 emails a week from people that are looking for, for spots to play and coaches and, you know, players. And uh, a lot of those people are under the assumption that we start recruiting in January, you know? And so, but we get, I think there's honestly a lot of demand uh, for it. So, so it's not really a, a scarcity issue, you know, for the most part, we're usually able to, 
to find, you know, it gets hard in the summer. It gets hard in the mm-hmm. summer towards the end of the year when you're looking for guys to fill in, guys that get hurt, you know, and other things. That gets challenging. But um, other than that, that's pretty, it's not too bad. Okay. So what do the college programs get out of this? What are their players? What What's the benefit for the college? Yeah, you know, this really becomes an extension of the spring season, a summer developmental program. For most D1 high-end programs, it's an expectation. So it's not a choice. It's an expectation. You're going to go out and you're going to okay. play summer ball. Uh, it does a couple things. Uh, one, obviously, continued continued reps, continued development. Um, a lot of our guys are in that 18 to 21 range. So, you know, like I said, we'll take John Savage's incoming freshman. We'll take Stanford's freshman, you know. So a lot of those guys, really talented players, and they've got a plan for that player but he's not going to crack the lineup at Stanford as a freshman. Right. So there's a lot of guys that are waiting their turn so they can Mm -hmm. come out and they can play every day. They can get at bats, they can get the confidence. So, you know, a lot of it's that getting, getting the reps, getting the opportunities. Uh, And then there's some, you know, life development stuff too, of just maturing and getting out and and figuring out, you know, how to live with the host family, how to communicate, how to play for a different coach. Uh, We swing wood bats. So mm-hmm. it's a little more of a minor league experience than the metal bats. And mm-hmm. so um, I think, you know, the, the college coaches just really get that extension, that developmental opportunity. And I think that's why relationships really come into play because I think, you know, the coaches want to be able to pick up the phone and call the head coach and say, how is he looking? How is it going? You know, they want to be really part of the experience. They don't want to ship their player off. And, and I tell people all the time, I'm like, we're borrowing these aren't our players like we are borrowing them and we need to return them either in the shape that we found them or better you know and um and so our relationships with our coaches really are that way like we update them we let them know what's going on we send them um you know sabermetrics reports and say hey here's what we're seeing and just so that they're Mm -hmm. really in the loop and that they they can use you know the experience to when the guy gets back on campus in the fall to be able to continue to build off that so um so yeah they really get the opportunity for you know guys to learn and grow and have that opportunity and when you play in the spring season there's only so many at bats and innings to go around and you're trying to make a regional and you're trying to win a national championship and there might be opportunities you just can't give guys because they haven't cracked the lineup and so i think that's one of the big things that summer ball can give is that they can give, you know, playing every day or playing, you know, every other day, just a lot more opportunities for some of these guys. Do these programs ever ask you, I'm just going to assign a, you know, the the player's name is Billy ball player. (laughs) And do they ever say, we really want Billy to learn how to do X. Like, can you help Billy learn? Or is that, let's say they want him to learn how to hit a curveball. Just, you know, over some yeah. but do they ever come and say, this is, you know, we'd like you to take Billy and can you guys focus on this for the season? Yeah. There's certainly always a conversation about, you know, how, how do you want us to use them? What do you want them to work on? I'd say it's, you know, in rare cases, it's something crazy like, well, he was pitching and we wanted to play left field or, you know, something, but uh, okay. most of the time it's things like, you know, yeah, we he, he's been in the middle of our rotation. We'd like to use him. Um, you know, he's been a back end bullpen guy. We'd like to use him as a starter next year. So we'd like mm-hmm. you to use him as a starter next year, gotcha. or, okay. um, you know, he can play the corners pretty well. We usually have him at first, but we'd like him to see a little time at third. So it's just it's some stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, sure. and, and sometimes they'll just say, you know, it doesn't always have to be in a game because we do early work every day. And so sometimes, you know, a program might say, Hey, do you mind an early work, you know, getting him some reps at shortstop and you know, that goes. And, you know, mm-hmm. because programs are always kind of trying to figure out too. Um, a lot of these guys are versatile and have played a lot of uh, positions. So yeah, it's usually things like that, but there's always conversations about what the plan for the player is. And we always take that input really seriously. And, um, and, and every guy usually comes with, you know, a, a plan for the weight room, like what, what their strength coach wants them to be doing. And then a plan on the baseball side about of what they want them to be working at. And maybe that's, you know, a variety of, of different things, but everyone's always on the, the same page about what those are. So you're not going to take a, a kid that's been, you know, top of a rotation starter and turn him into a shortstop and say, Hey, hey, we got your shortstop. 
yeah, no, we wouldn't, uh, okay. we, we wouldn't we, do, <laughs> we wouldn't do that. I know you were looking for him to be your number two pitcher next year, but he, he really should be playing shortstop for you. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. That's what we needed and we're going to use it there. <laughs> so I really, I do like the, the fact that it's, you know, one of the things in these conversations is the word that just keeps coming back to me all the time is I just keep thinking of collaboration. It's, mm-hmm. it's a very collaborative relationship between the various programs that are supplying the, the players. It's very collaborative between the players, we need host families, the, the team, the community, the league itself. You know, the, the the league itself is just seems competitive on the field, but collaborative mm-hmm. outside the field. Yep. And that's that's really exciting. So let's that's enough nuts and bolts baseball. We'll, we'll you know, <laughs> let's let's talk um Let's talk the team, the Bellingham Bells. What's the backstory of the Bellingham Bells? I mean, you kind of gave it to us yeah. but with ownership, but like how long have the Bells been in existence? Kind of what's the high points of their history? Yeah, so I actually have a book over here on my desk that's um, called Bays to Bells. And somebody uh, wrote the book a long time ago and basically just about how the the Bells have been in existence here for 80 years. Um, it's got a really cool story. Um, the book's actually really cool. It has an index. So people come in, sometimes they're like, my grandpa was a bell. We can look up grandpa and figure out what year he was and whatever. So it's really cool. Um, so the bells in like the fifties and sixties was a community team, kind of like a semi-pro team. And, uh, there was, you know, when the men went off to war, the women played and it was just really cool. And, uh, in the seventies, minor league baseball came in, um, the Bellingham Mariners, were in Joe Martin Field uh, for several years. Ken Griffey Jr. got his start there. So that's a lot of people think Ken Griffey Jr. was a bell, which he wasn't, but he did play at Joe Martin Field where we play, which is really cool. After the Mariners, uh, it was the Giants and Dodgers. So there was about 20 years of affiliated baseball at the field. And during that time, the Bells still continued to be a community team, played kind of in a variety of ways. There's a really cool old iconic field, uh, Battersby Field, and um, they played there for a while and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So um, basically Bellingham is just a great baseball community, very storied baseball community. And it's really rare that I talk to somebody that they don't tell me a story about going to Bellingham Mariners games or doing this or Dodgers or Battersby Park or, you know, whatever. And so uh, the Bells in 1999, um, I believe affiliated ball had gone out in 96. So there was a three-year gap where there really wasn't anything. And so uh, there was a businessman from New York. I don't know a lot about him. I think his name was George. And he, for some reason, decided to start the Bells um, in 99 and then only owned it for like a year or two and sold it to a local family who owned it for a while. But they brought back the Bells. They joined the Pacific International League at first. And then in t- 2005, uh, when the West Coast League was founded, they joined the Bells or joined yeah. the West Coast League. And so... So they've been, uh, you know, in our in our current form, we have been around, you know, about 15 years um, and or no longer than that. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah. You like the Bells have been in the league for 15. Math. Yeah. Right. The, <laughs> the Bells have been in the league for 15 years. It's been about uh, 20 that uh, the Bells have been around the community. So it's been really very cool. Um to see, you know, just the community kind of embrace that. And then just as far as, you know, basically the bells were around for a long time. Um, and then in 2010, there was nothing bad about it. I just think that it had kind of lost its oomph a little bit. And so okay. our, our current or our past owner, Eddie Popowski, actually the, the way he found the bells is that his son was a baseball player at Georgetown and was playing in the West Coast League. And he oh. and his wife, Kim, came up to Bellingham to watch Danny play for the Walla Walla Suites. And there was like 108 fans at this game. And he was just like, Bellingham is so cool. I love Bellingham. It seems like a place that really supports things. Like, what is happening here? And so then he just kind of got on a bender and decided to research it. And then he bought it. <laughs> and so after he... Uh, bought the team he just he's the one who kind of set us on our current path you know he rebranded everything said hey we got to be community first we got to have local products local vendors we got to make sure we develop the kids we got to have a mission we got to have a plan of where we go here and um really i mean 
the seven years. So Eddie bought the team. He owned it for about seven years and the attendance tripled during that time. And we won a title during that time and everything else. So, and then just kind of set on this new trajectory of, um, you know, we've really had some nice fan support. So that's, that's kind of what, you know, the evolution of baseball in Bellingham has looked like. Okay. So now you said, I hope that this isn't right, but you said there was 108 people and he tripled attendance. I hope it's more no. than 325 people. <laughs> yeah, no, I think um, Eddie's first year, he was really excited because he, he got attendance to 500 fans a game. And okay. uh, when he, when he left um, in 2017, I believe we had about 1,600 fans a game um, okay. that year. So, you know, it, it tripled. Um, we've, we've had a lot of good fan attendance success. What approximately how many people does this, the, the ballpark hold? Uh, we have seating for 1600 and then okay. we have a really large, we have some group areas and a really large grassy berm. So we can have about 3000 people at max. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's still, that's, that's a lot of people to mm-hmm. attend. That's mm-hmm. great. Well, let's, let's talk Bellingham bells. Now mm-hmm. walk me through, I'm going to miraculously appear at the stadium for a game in July. Okay. What am I going to, what's my experience going to be like? What, what does Bellingham do? What's, what does your team do? Slightly different than everybody else. I mean, everyone's got their own little flavor, you know, local flavor. So what's the Bellingham Bells local flavor? For sure. Well, one of the things I love is that everyone does things differently and I travel all the time and I just love seeing how everybody's just a little bit different. Um, you know, I would say our ballpark is really unique. It's very old, um, but it's been updated. You know, it's got, we have ter- all turf and, uh, okay. you know, video scoreboard and all that. So, and um, honestly, our ballpark's kind of like a little piece of Americana. It's like free parking. You kind of wander in and, um, and it's just this cute little stadium. Like it's very, um, it's very Americana. It's, it's different than some of the other stadiums that are a little newer and a little more commercialized. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that we really do that Eddie was always big on is you know, we really try to take care of our fans. And so, you know, Eddie always said, you don't let somebody walk through the front door of your house without greeting them. And you don't let them walk out of the front door of your house. So like, you know, we stand at the gate every night and we say goodnight to people. And that's me and my staff every single night, like unless something's imploding. But for the most part, you know, we're we're there. Um, we have people okay. greeting fans at the beginning. Um, we do um, we do an all local menu pretty much. So we use okay. Hempler's hot dogs and Ralph's pretzels and, you know, all this different local stuff. Um, and that's, okay. you know, kind of our our own flavor. We um, have some, you know, different promotions that that we do. And, um, you know, Family Fun Day Sunday with the bounce house for the kids and you know some of these things. But our big thing. Um, our owner now, Glenn Kirkpatrick and I, like our, our big thing is just atmosphere. Like we want, I appreciate when people who are big baseball fans come to the game and I know that they will come to the game, but there's not enough big baseball fans to fill our stadium in Bellingham. So, you know, those people are going to come, they're going to listen on the radio. They're going to keep score. And I don't want our atmosphere to be a hindrance to them, but I also want to make sure that if you come to the game and you don't care about baseball and you don't know what a shortstop is, you can have a good time. And, um, and I think that's what we've created. We've created an atmosphere that literally people ask me who won the game when they leave. And I'm totally fine with that because <laughs> well, this is, you know, this is the community's, this is community's team. It's a community gathering place. Um, it's a place where you can come out and high five your neighbor and have fun. It's affordable. So, um, so we wanted to create an atmosphere that was fun somewhere you'd want to be. And, and I think we've done that. And I think that that's, um, that's kind of our big thing is atmosphere and we continue to build on that and just, you know, find ways to make the atmosphere cooler and, um, really kind of, you know, try to feel like something's going on, um, which is kind of our, our big thing. So that's what's a, probably a little different is just our, um, we, we kind of try to turn it into a party a little bit, um, but a baseball okay. party, you know, baseball party. <laughs> and who, and who won the game? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people know, but not everyone does. I know that, that's, that's funny. That was like, who won? Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I just <laughs> who won the game. Uh, this has nothing to, it has something to do with baseball, but this is my memorable minor league baseball experience many years ago when my children were very young, 
I went to an Everett Aqua Sox game. Mm, yep. I don't remember how old my children were, but my I was carrying my daughter because so she was probably two, year and a half. Nah. Anyway, and I I want to go to a ball game, so I took my kids to the Aqua Sox and uh, now I had a diaper bag on one shoulder, kid on the other arm, <laughs> trying to keep my son from you know running into the street. And the I was greeted. It's a funny thing you said. You know, you, you don't let you, you greet people when they come to your house. So I was somebody said, "Oh, is, you're, you're welcome." And you know what? You know, I, I must have looked like the typical hairy single dad. <laughs> and they ended up going, "Well, come with me." And they, I bought tickets, and they upgraded me to. I was in the third row behind home plate. Oh, cool! And I had bought general admission tickets, right? And they they took me to my seat. They helped me with my kids, and we lasted like two innings. Because, <laughs> you know, you know, but but I just I remember the hospitality that that team exhibited. Yeah. I also remember sitting there with guys with radar guns you know, clocking pitches too. It was, it was like, mm-hmm. there were scouts. I was sitting around the scouts. So they probably didn't like the guy with the two little kids um, <laughs> interrupting their work. But I think, but they made me, I mean, I tell that story 20 plus years later, like I appreciate that. And so I think having a party at the stadium, if you will, and, and, and welcoming people to come and experience it, that's, that's awesome. That's that, that builds community. Yeah. And I think, you know, across the league, one of the things that we all do that we can do because we're small teams, because we're not the Mariners um, and the Alka Sox certainly have done the same thing is that um, we can make, you know, these memorable moments for people and it doesn't, you know, and, and sometimes I have to remind myself that because I mean, I've been around the ballpark all the time for eight years, but if somebody, you know, comes to the game and you say, Hey, do you want to come out? And do you want to, you know, walk up, walk over to the mound or see the team or throw first pitch or, you know, if it's maybe, a, you know, kids being back kids and getting to be in the dugout with the team or there's so many, you know, unique and memorable things that we're able to offer yeah. people that aren't really major things. Right. It's just like, you know, Hey, do you want to come out and watch batting practice or do you want to do this? Um, but people, especially little kids, um, one of oh, the coolest yes. things is in all of our stadiums, you know, our players, my players sign every autograph every night and, you know, there's okay. little kids out there. They don't know who these kids are. They think they're superstars, you know? And so exactly. it's really, it's really cool. That's probably honestly my, I don't know if you're going to ask this question or not, but I'll just ask it for you. My favorite part of the job okay. is really that um, it's the community stuff and it's the being able to interact and, you know, do these special things for people, for organizations, uh, for people in the community. That's, that's really one of my favorite parts. So do, do you have, do the players sign autographs every game? Yep. Are they available? Yeah, See, they are. I, th- yep. I mean, that's awesome mm-hmm. because you just made some five-year-olds day. For sure. You made some seven, 10-year-old day, you know, yep. the, you know, and that autograph piece of paper, card, ball, whatever, bat, whatever they, they signed, that kid's probably going to lose it as they grow up, but they're going to remember it. You know yep. what I mean? It's going to be somewhere in the mess of a kid's bedroom. Like, oh, I can't really find, but they're going to remember it. And that's, and that reflects positively on the sport. It, re- it reflects positively on the team. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's amazing. Sports need rivalries. You mentioned <laughs> before we went officially live or maybe it wasn't live, but you mentioned you, you're a Husky football family. Right. Mm-hmm. So that also means you love the Washington state. Cougars. <laughs> I love the right? base, I love the baseball team. Yeah, so see, no, you have to love Cougar football too. I I have Cougar I have autographed Cougar helmets over Ooh, here, boy. but I also have an autographed Husky helmet there too. Okay, all right, all right. So, but I went to Central, so I can I can pick and choose. <laughs> but you went to you went to Western, you can pick and choose too. But yep. you are a Husky football fan, mm-hmm. which means the dreaded Cougars. Correct. Yep. Okay. Good natured rivalry. You might root for the Cougars against every other team but the Huskies. Yep. Who's the Bellingham Bells rival? Yeah, well, rivals are always a funny thing in the West Coast League because, you know, we turn over our players every year. So those nice. rivalries don't really, like, last with the players because it's new every year. Um, I would say geographic. You know, a lot of the a lot of the rivalries just come from, from geography right. and history, I guess. Those are the two things. So sure. um, the Corvallis Knights are five-time champions. <laughs> they're, you know, they're an incredible organization. Uh, Dan and Bree do and Brooke, who's their head coach, amazing job. Um, amazing people. Right. They've earned every, you know, people talk about how they're the overlords and, you know, whatever. Like, no, they do a great job and they've earned every 
single right. trophy and every accolade they've gotten, they've earned. Um, we have, you know, always battled with them. Uh, we've had two championship series with them in 14 and 16 In 14. We were okay. fortunate enough to win the title in three games. Um, and in 2016, one of the best baseball games I've ever seen, we dropped game three to them down in Goss stadium, bled most of the game and it kind of unraveled, you know, in the six or seventh inning. And, um, so there's some rivalry there. We, we love to play those guys. We get up when we play those guys. They're a great organization. We've always had really tight ball games with them, and there's a ton of respect for them. So um, that's a rivalry for sure, a very friendly, good-natured one, but right. um, definitely a rivalry. And then just geographically, um, the Harbor Cats are one probably our closest uh, because you can, you know, drive across the border and hop on a ferry and be in Victoria in maybe three hours. And so right. uh, we tend to, you know, travel some fans when we go up there. They travel some fans uh -huh. when they come down here. And uh, we generally, before this year, we've played them home and away pretty much every year. So you see them a lot. Right. And they've been really good. It, they're they're another organization that's well-coached, well-ran. Um, and mm -hmm. they're one that we always find ourselves mixing up in, whether it's a playoff or a couple of years ago, it came down to us or them for a first half playoff. It came down to, you know, a head for head, you know, one game type thing. And so we've, you know, it's somebody that uh, we find ourselves in close matchups with again and someone we respect a whole heck of a lot. So those, those two teams probably, but um, everybody in the West coast league is competitive and, you know, we love playing all those guys. So it's, it's kind of a, a rivalry with all the different teams, you know, everybody wants to beat right. everybody. Well, every, yeah, you, it's, you're extremely competitive when you're, when you're playing the games, it's yep. just, you know, you're, you're not the first GM to mention Corvallis. I'll just, I'll just, I, I know that may be a shock to you, Shocker. but you're not the yeah. first, yeah, you're, you're not the first GM to mention them. And, you know, and that's, but I think that's, I think, I think having a, a, a team in any sport that's the dreaded Yankees, let's say, right. you know, love them or hate them. They're good for the sport. The sure. Dallas Cowboys love yep. them or hate them. They're good for the sport. They, they yep. raise the bar for everybody. Yes. Correct. Yep. And, um, famous Bellingham bells guys that made it to the show. Hmm. Any names? Yeah. So we definitely have. So, uh, Mark Zepchinski, um, who has kind Don't of kicked around the league. That. Yeah. And he was a, he was a Mariner for a short time. He, he played in the belt for the bells. Um, Adrian Sampson, yeah is I believe back in the league he's played over in Korea um, also been a Mariner and a Ranger and so uh, from my era we have Spencer Howard who was a Bell in 2015 2016 uh, he was a pick from the Phillies and then uh, pitched with the Phillies for a few years um, and then now he's with the Rangers and um, so okay. Spencer uh, was part of the Rangers rotation last year and I think will continue to be this year. And then Michael Rucker, who was a bell in 2013 and 14 uh, was called up to the Cubs last year and uh, earned a spot with them. So he'll continue to pitch uh, with them, but we've got, you know, just a really um, a long list of guys who are getting ready to crack um, major league baseball. So Austin Shenton uh, is a former bell. He is, um, he was drafted by the Mariners. Uh, he's part of the Rays now, but he's in double A with them. He's from Bellingham. So he's kind of our okay. uh, pride and joy here at Bellingham. And I think Austin's got Hometown a real kid. Yeah, I think Austin's got a real shot. Uh, Matt yeah. McLean was a Bell in uh, 2018. He actually turned down about $2.5 million to go to UCLA. And uh, so we got him that year after he turned down the draft money, played at UCLA, got drafted again got um more money i think the second time so it worked out okay for him uh, matt's no doubt gonna wear a major league uniform there's just no question in that and uh and, and a number of other guys too that are are close and i think gonna okay. you know crack crack those rosters so that's really fun um that's you know the league i think in general has had there's a list that the league has of all of the different of they're affiliated, but also just MLB players who played on West Coast League teams, and it's long. Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty substantial. Yeah, it's list. substantial, and it's the baseball's gotten so much better in this league just in the last five years, though, that I think you're just going to see that that list just grow and grow and grow, which is really cool. Let's uh, let's 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 talk about this year's team for a second. Mm -hmm. uh, coaches. Yep. Are the coaches for this year? Yeah. So our head coach is Adam Geislin. He, um, we actually hired him in fall of 19. 
and 2020 was supposed to be his first year. And then uh, we canceled that season. So 2021 was his real first season, the last season. Um, Adam did a great job. He's a good fit for our, you know, development first type of um, program. He's, he does a great job with culture and with players. And so um, Adam will be um, his second year as our manager. And then um, Carlos Arroyo is going to be our pitching coach. And we had just a phenomenal, I mentioned him earlier, Jim Clem was our pitching coach for over 10 years, local legend, um, phenomenal pitching coach, and just got to the point where he needed a year away. And uh, Glenn and I found ourselves thinking, okay, we can't take a step back here. We've had a phenomenal pitching coach. These coaches have come to expect this kind of pitching coach. And we've had a guy who's got not only baseball expertise, but just years and miles, right? To just, you know, have seen things and have experience. And so we just went out and started asking around and um, we found Carlos, who was a, um, was a coach in the Phillies minor league system for about 40 years. Uh, Carlos was a roving coach, a coach at almost every level, pitching coordinator for some time. And so we set up a call um, with Carlos and I just instantly knew like, this is our guy um, because he, a, I mean, the experience, you don't hang out with one team for 40 years if you don't know what you're doing. And if you don't have the pitching knowledge and he's got the pitching knowledge, yeah. um, he's a hundred percent got the pitching knowledge, but He's just, he's a great man. He's got um, just a phenomenal outlook on pitching and just, um, you know, understands the new school of baseball, but also takes it old school um, as well and has that approach. So really excited about Carlos. And then um, we've got three young assistants, uh, two with us from last year. So Hayden Hastings, who's our catching coach and uh, was a catcher at Tulane and is now on staff at Edmonds Community College and uh, David Hegera, who is from California. He's a coach at Caltech. And then um, our fifth coach is our assistant pitching coach who will work with Carlos. And his name is Cody Anderson. And he's actually a former Bell and a former WSU Cougar. And Cody was a Bell in 2015. And we had the opportunity to bring him on as our assistant pitching coach. So really excited about that. So yeah, great lineup of coaches. Um, you know, with the coaches, we really just, we look for character. We can't preach character in our clubhouse if we don't have coaches who our hard character. Right. So we start there. We have really high expectations of how these guys conduct their business and how they act on the field and how they act off the field. And it has to start with the coaching staff. And so uh, we feel really lucky to have the group that we have that's really experienced and knowledgeable and also just really great guys. Great. How about the roster this year? Do you have many returning players or is this a, a, a primarily first year player for you this year or where are you at with yeah. that? year i feel like we try to hit that number of like five to ten returners this year we have i think somewhere in that we've got probably you know eight or so um and our team last year was just really and um, they were incredible from the standpoint of buying into the culture following the rules you know not causing trouble and and they were talented players too and so we're excited to bring back some players from that roster so we'll have some returners and then just a lot of new players. There's always a lot of new players every year. And so we'll have new players this year. Um, you know, we have some new schools that we're working with and and just some, you know, different players. But really excited about it. Um, just, you know, a lot of a lot of these guys, we track their stats in the spring and they're getting opportunities and they're doing well. And um, you know, we're excited for them to be able to come to Bellingham and see what they can do. Where's the most interesting location you've gotten a player from it doesn't for example mm. did um it doesn't mean that they didn't say go to ucla but you know from around the globe where has there been anybody from a place you went i didn't know they played baseball there <laughs> yeah. um yeah i mean not necessarily i mean generally when we end up with like international players they are from places where baseball is fairly prominent but we did we had a pitcher several years ago who was from uh, venezuela and okay. um, and then last year we had Yugo Hamakawa, who was from Japan. And um, other than that, you know, you end up with guys from all over. You know, we've had players from from every state. I, I think it's not so much like where they're from. The always really interesting thing to me is the connections that people have to our area when they're from mm -hmm. like wherever Florida. Like, you know, we, we have a player coming from Texas who requested a host family because he knew them because 
they were neighbors when they lived in Vegas like 20 years ago. And then they, they moved to Texas. The family moved to Bellingham. 20 years goes by and now he's coming out and he's going to live with them because they've like stayed in touch. And so there's like always those sort of things. Like there's one of those every year that makes my head like, okay, the world is pretty big, but it's also very small. <laughs> so did these people know that they want, they were to be a host family or did he yeah, just no, bring did. it on? They, yeah, like, no, they did. They okay. volunteered. Right. They were excited about it. But you know, we had two kids on the team a few years ago whose dads were college roommates at a college in Boston. And I hadn't seen, wow. they were like frat brothers and they hadn't seen each other like 15 years and then their kids get placed on the same summer team. Like it's just stuff like that. That's yeah. It's a small world. <laughs> yeah. That's just, yeah. You can't make those up. You couldn't. <laughs> no, you know. Exactly. Well, last question about the team. So walk me through a typical day for a player. Yep. What, what, what's expected of a player and, and is the, is their day much different on a game day or an off day? Yeah. Well, so off days, you know, there's only like eight or nine of them in the whole summer. So we play over 60 games in like 69 or 70 days. And so um, there's very few off days. So we try to those off days. It's like, that's your day. Do what you want to do. Um, you know, maybe they'll go home if they're close enough to go home or maybe their host family will take them to a Mariners game or out on the boat or, you know, whatever. But those, mm-hmm. those are kind of those sacred days. Those are their, their days. Um, maybe okay. they'll go throw, you know, it's pretty common. They'll go throw, maybe they'll go hit in the cages a little bit. Maybe they'll go to the gym, but you know, it's going to just be, they can do what they want on a game day. Um, so, you know, these guys are usually not early, early risers. Um, I don't think we got a lot of early birds. Um, and so basically we do a, um, a fitness, you know, a fitness hour or fitness window between 10 and noon. And so the expectation is between 10 and noon, you go to the gym or you go to the, um, we work with a recovery center called prime sports, which is unbelievable. Um, they have compression therapy. They have hot and cold pads, um, infrared saunas. They work with high end athletes and, um, there's former D one athletic trainers that work at that facility, sports chiropractic. It's actually next level. It's really crazy that we even have it here. And, and we've had this awesome partnership with them. So it's like, you're going to go to the recovery center or you go to the gym and then, um, you know, wrap up by noon most of the time guys have an hour or so grab some lunch go home get your stuff together and then uh by two o'clock your position players are going to be rolling into the stadium um some days most days we offer early work so between like 12 30 and 1 30 guys just want to get some reps out um just go on the fields and the coaches will be out there running some early work and doing some drills and then you know two o'clock or so we're usually our position players are going to be in the cages and getting some swings in that way and then uh, about three o'clock, usually back down in the clubhouse, uh, guys, you know, getting food, getting ready for BP. Generally, the coaches will address the team around three or three thirty, come up to the field and then take batting practice. And the pitchers will be doing their thing. Some of them will be, you know, playing catch or shaking balls or you know, doing different things um, as well. And take batting practice till four thirty or four forty five. And then head back down to um, the clubhouse and, uh, you know, get some nutrition, get some food. We've got snacks down there uh, for them and, you know, run and get smoothies. I think the smoothie place across the year or across the street is like sponsored by the bells at this point. Um, And, uh, (laughs) but then uh, by, uh, by about, we start at 6.35, our games do. So by about six o'clock, we get all the guys back up in the dugout or in full uniform and kind of out throwing warming up and uh, then the game starts and you know usually the game wraps about nine o'clock we do a post-game meal for them so usually something catered pasta whatever and so they eat and then um usually you know they go out sometimes some of them actually go out for second meals more of them than i ever imagined a lot of them end up eating a second meal uh go out for dinner with you know their teammates or whatever and then you know go home and start the whole thing over the next day so that's kind of what the what it looks like well one of the things that i've taken away from one of the benefits i think of the league is that this format exposes them to more what the the minors and ultimately the major leagues gets them to it's it's not a part-time job. It's a full-time job yeah. and then some. Yes. So yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, to wrap this up, this is me 
I say this every time. So what didn't I ask you that I should have? <laughs> this is how I could like, like, what did I not bring up? Cause we could keep going, but like, what, what didn't I bring up that I should have about, about you or the Bellingham Bells or Bellingham? Oh gosh. I don't know. I think you hit a lot of things. I'm trying to think. Okay. Well, what do you do? What do you like to do for fun and entertainment when you're not being the GM? I mean, during the baseball <laughs> season, we know it's all baseball all the time, but yeah. when it's the off season, besides Husky football, what do you like to yeah. do? Yeah. Well, Husky football, first and foremost, that's like takes my whole fall. Um, I am, uh, I, lately I'm really into group exercise. <laughs> I don't know why, but, um, I've gotten really into, uh, taking bar classes. Uh, there's a, a bar three studio here in Bellingham. I've gotten really obsessed with that. So, um, I take a lot of group what exercises. Is that? Um, it's like a core cardio blend sort of thing. Um, I'm not exactly sure how you describe it, but it's hard and it's good. Um, and uh, it's across okay. the street from our office. So I've been doing a lot of that. I like to read. Um, I have a four-year-old daughter, so I chase her mm-hmm. around. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we like to vacation. I like to cook. Um, so I like to think I'm fairly well-rounded. Um, you know, not just sports all the time. But, um, but yeah, my, my husband and I like to um, just active, you know, run and mountain bike and Bellingham is, I mean, Bellingham is amazing. Like that's one of the reasons why we still live here is you can, um, we can walk out the front door of our house and be in a trail system in, you know, a minute. And, um, and it's just, and we actually live at the base of Galbraith mountain for, for mountain biking, which is like just trails, all these groomed trails. And it's just amazing. Just what we have at our fingertips here in Bellingham. So, um, definitely like to be active and get outside and then do all the stuff that my four-year-old is into like parks and children's museums and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Does your, does your daughter go to the games? Does she like going to the ballpark yeah well she's a little young yet but i mean does she, i don't know, you know if this uh, story is fit for the podcast or not but i'll tell it to you and then you can decide sure. um so, uh, so we'll my, leave it in. my daughter is a bell's baby through and through because um okay. i had her two days before opening day in 2018 um i was pregnant that year i was due at the end of june and i had a very you know in my head plan of how it was all going to go down. And my due date was June 30th. <laughs> and my owner kept saying like, when is like, when are you due? And I'm like, June 30th, don't worry. It's June 30. And then of course, two <laughs> days before opening day, the team is on the road and I have to call Glenn and be like, yeah, so I think I'm gonna have a baby today. So you're going to have, and it was his first, it was his first year as the owner. And I'm like, you're going to have to figure this out. And, uh, and anyway, so I was back to work in, I mean, I didn't go back full time, but I was back at the ballpark with my baby and a carrier in about two weeks. And um, I did what I could. And um, our staff really stepped up, Glenn stepped up and we just we just made it work. But everybody knows my daughter because she was kind of the little one that derailed opening day. And that whole summer (laughs) I had her in a front pack and. And so people will ask me, how old is Sydney now? And, and I'll tell them, and they're like, oh, we remember the year you had her, you know? And so she definitely is, she's our through and through Bell's baby. She caused a little oh. bit of chaos and, um, and she loves, I mean, I don't think there's any other choice, but she loves going to the games and uh, my husband will take her and she, you know, runs around and she doesn't really like the mascot. So she's in that phase where she kind of could take or leave the mascot, but she really likes, you know, she, and she gets to do all the cool things like run around the field after the games and, you know, go out and whatever. So she, yeah, it'll be really fun to, to raise her at the ballpark. Um, right. She's a pretty, we're having her fourth birthday at the ballpark this year because nice. it coincides with, with opening day. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's, she really likes it. Yeah. It's good. That's okay. So that's a great story. Tell us. <laughs> that's a, that's a great story. Well, Thank you for taking the time yeah, to uh, make this happen. I appreciate all your help that you've been outside of the episode, if you will. And I'm looking forward to my small part in the league this year and watching a lot of baseball. I'll get to watch a lot more baseball this year than I have in ever in the past. <laughs> so that'll be fun. And I'm, I'm hopeful that, um, that I'm going to get to see some of the other ballparks this year that I'm going to be able to travel and go and check out, uh, some of the other stadiums, uh, we're, you know, here's my, my, my baby story, if you will, we're getting a puppy um, in a, in a few days <laughs> and I'll have a, a you know, a, a very young puppy 
during the season. So, you know, I'm sure that'll, nothing can go chaotic there. <laughs> yeah. But um, anyway, no, we're, we're, I'm hopeful that I'm going to get to um, some of the other ballparks um, this year. Well, let me ask you, I, I'm, I pause. I, I'm going to ask you one last question. Sure. This is your opinion. Okay. okay. I'm asking your opinion. Okay. What do you think the league's going to look like competitive wise and, and just in general over the next couple of years? What do you think? Cause you, you mentioned during the episode that in the last five years, yeah. competitions improved. Yep. What do you think's on the horizon? I mean, are we going to, yeah. What's the league going to, look like in a couple more years do you think yeah well i don't think that the league is going anywhere but up um in every way um in competition you know we've really improved that over the last five years um we've also added teams um i think we've added you know teams have up their operations i think they're all connected and i think where it starts is that we have a group so we have 16 teams and we have a group right. of really excellent, smart, successful owners um, who are doing this for the right reasons, who understand business, who understand marketing, who understand, you know, positioning a team in the community and what that has to look like. And mm-hmm. really, not that it, you know, hasn't, we've always had great teams in the league, but sometimes people start the teams and they don't necessarily have the resources to put behind them and, you know, to do certain things, certain ways. And now we've got across the league, we've got teams being ran very professionally. And what that lends to is more fans, um, more programs being willing to work with you, more validity, you know, and, and everyone kind of starting to see the West coast league as, wow, this is really the best summer collegiate baseball on the West coast. And this rivals some of the East coast leagues. And so we're seeing that more and more, I think. And we've added five markets. We've added Edmonton, which is a huge market, 9,000 seat stadium. That's going to be huge for the league. And Nanaimo is a great market. Springfield is a great market. So we've got great markets. We've got great operators. You know, if you were to look at like the board of directors and some of what some of these guys do in their business lives, they're very successful, like, and, and they know what they're doing and, and they've hired good staffs and had good brands. So I don't see the league, you know, I think the league's probably going to add, I mean, this is my own opinion, but I'd imagine there's going to be more teams, you know, in the future and there's going to be people are going to want to be a part of it and they're going to keep bringing these people in who want to do it in a a certain way. And it's just going to be really, really good, I think, for across the board. And so all of that translates more teams, good owners, all of that. It just all translates into better baseball because it all trickles down to having something that high-end programs want to be a part of, that they can trust, Mm -hmm. that they want to send players to. And when that happens, you know, I mentioned Matt McLean. Um, this year we have J.R. Ritchie, who is said to be a first-round um, draft prospect. We've had other guys who have played in the league from other teams. Um, there, you know, Corvallis has had many. When you have those sort of players being trusted in the West Coast League, the baseball just gets better, <laughs> you know, and and, oh, and, that's, and that's you know, and everything else. So yeah, it's very cool, and I think it's you know headed nowhere but up. That's that's exciting. I mean, in, in this region has such a long storied baseball history. Yep, for sure. It's, it's amazing. So, well, I thank you for your time. I appreciate you doing this. I look forward to our paths crossing in person one day this summer because I'm sure they will. Yes. And uh, you can have the last word. Well, I don't know that I have one, but I just want to yeah say thank you to you for working with all of us and uh, for your time today. And yeah, I really appreciate it. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.